Praise the Lord. This, uh, I believe right now, is the last week of our series, Real Life, Real Love, Real Purpose. And uh, I have enjoyed the series. But next week, unless the Lord leads differently, we're going to start a new series called Build the Road. And uh, Build the Road is all about the power of your words and the power of your mouth and the power of your speech. Uh, But I'll give you a little preview. It's actually about the power that you have to declare a thing and it come to pass. So it's about uh, the authority that's in your voice. Or you could call it the voice of faith. In other words, when you speak with a voice of faith, things change. Because you're speaking, holding on to God with everything that's in you. And so the the root or the cause or the foundation or the birthplace of that voice is faith in God. And when you use that voice, when you speak with that voice, things change. Uh, even if you want to get into the presence of God or you want to pray, but you don't want to just mouth words, but you want to connect with God, right? So I could stand up here or I could go in my prayer closet at home, which is actually a little path by a dry pond is where I pray most of the time. Uh, I could just go there and mouth words. And I'll tell you what, I would get pretty bored pretty fast and I would run out of words to say But when you talk to God and you connect with God, there is life that comes from the very presence of God. And um, so in order to do that, though, you have to do it just like we do everything else. How, How do you live? By faith. That's how you live the life of God is by faith. And so the way you get into the presence of God is by faith. So if I was going to go into the presence of God right now, and so right, as Jesus said, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And so right now, we are going to go into the presence of God to open the service. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the name of Jesus and for the power of the blood of Jesus. We thank you that when we come to you in his name, that you hear us that you speak to us, that you settle down and you commune with us. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We ask today, as we open your word and as we pour over your words, that you would make them alive to us, that we would see and that we would know by your spirit truths from your word, truths from your kingdom that will affect our lives today, but not just today, for all eternity. Father, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom, revelation, and understanding in the knowledge of your Son, in the knowledge of who you are, in what you have given us, in our great uh, inheritance that you have given us in Christ Jesus. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. And that was just a little sample, but basically, and that was a real prayer, of course, but you... um, you get into the presence of God by faith. You receive from God by faith. You come to uh, salvation, the knowledge of salvation, by faith. And so even this whole series, like where we see you, where we see our church is offering real life, real love, real purpose through Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean like I have that to offer if I try to do it outside of who I am in Christ. But if I live by who I am in Christ, who he has made me to be, who he has formed me to be, who I endeavor to always live like, then I can bring real life, 
real love, real purpose. I'll actually carry it. I'll have it myself, and then I'm able to distribute it. Just like we talked last week, the only way that you can love someone the way that 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8 says to love someone is to first be loved that way yourself by God. In other words, you have to receive what is God and what is from God and what is of God in order to be able to give it out. I believe it's in the first part of Corinthians. It says, talking about boasting and like, you're, you know, who are you to say like, you're amazing and you have all this stuff. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit inspired him to say, what do you have that you have not received? And if you have received it, why do you boast as though you produced it? Because everything that we have that's good comes from God. Even Jesus Christ himself, he, uh, you know, the Bible says in, uh, that he gave us an example that we should do as he did and walk as he walked and live as he lived. And even Jesus, they said, oh, good teacher. Do you remember his response? He said, there is none good but God. And then he said, I only do what I see my father do, and I only say what I see my father do. In other words, this is nothing of me. This is all of him. And so he gave us that same example to live our life by. And um, if you live your life that way, not only will you have real life or an outstanding life or a life that goes beyond what the world could ever give you or ever offer you, but you will have that life in such a measure that you actually have the ability to give the same life away because you are a partaker of that life. If you want to tell someone about Jesus and see their life turn around, I mean, people in the world are so bound up by the power of the devil that they don't know what to do. They bump, this, bump into this wall, bump into that wall, trying to do this, trying to do that, trying to gratify an inward desire through a fleshly means or for, through a mental means. But if you want to really have an answer for someone, if you want to be able to speak to someone in a normal sort of way about, about something that they can actually grab hold of rather than thou shouldest receive Jesus Christ, the Son of God, right? And you're kind of, they're kind of like, Okay, cool. Uh, and around here, like if you're in Washington, D.C., you think, is this a crazy uh, preacher guy that's going to have a thing like, you're all going to hell, right? <laughs> um, the Bible doesn't actually tell us to do that. Uh, but if you want to be able to effectively do that, you have to first partake, uh, feed on, live out the very life of God in your own life. And that is one of the most appealing things that anyone will ever see because I don't really care what you say until I see how much you care. And the only way you can really care is with that kind of love, which is God's love, the love of God. Because that love is not in it, is not doing this, is not producing something or sacrificing for itself. It is sacrificing for the other person. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He loved so much that he gave. If you love so much, your husband, your wife, your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your friend, your coworker, then what you do is you give of yourself. 
uh, Colossians tells us that Jesus, when he left heaven and came to earth, that he laid aside his mighty power and glory and became as a mere man, a mere mortal. In other words, he laid all of that aside, riches and power and glory and wealth and ability, and he became as one of us. Why did he do that? Well, in Philippians chapter 1, actually, the word of God tells us that we're to do the same thing. He gave up himself for us. That is true love, that anyone would lay down their life for a friend, the Bible says. That you is the love of God. So last week we kind of contrasted um, the three types of love that you find in the Word of God. One is, uh, and I use the Greek words to differentiate them because in our language everything is love. In fact, like is love. Oh, do you like that iPad? I love it. You know? <laughs> do you like the? You know, I'm not a big one for rims or something, but maybe you are. Do you like the rims on that car? Oh, I love them. Right? Uh, do you like uh, mashed potatoes? I love them. Maybe even with a little bit of love of God, because I would sacrifice something to have mashed potatoes. <laughs> but you understand, like, our language with love is kind of like, uh, uh, whatever, you know, I love her, but uh, I've been married for 15 years, and I told my wife I loved her the day I married her, and if it ever changes, I'll let her know. No, I, I tell her all the time, but my love now, the best way I could describe it is you know, I thought I fully loved her, and I did, I guess, as far as I knew, but it was like a surface love compared to now the great depth, my, like my anchor goes deep in, in love for my wife, and, um, you know, she, she thanks the Lord, I'm sure, for 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, the, you know, talks about the love of God because, you know, without that, uh, you know, my personality would be like, well, I'll talk to you tomorrow. But 1 Corinthians 13 says, I cannot walk in the love of God. And if I don't walk in the love of God, I cannot experience the life of God. I cannot live in fullness of life. And besides that, it actually says that your prayers be not hindered. So I can't even pray. So sometimes I want to like shut it off, you know, and I'm like, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to pray. Oh, you just don't connect because, because the Holy Spirit is not in that. Because that is not love. And if you're going to pray effectively, you're going to pray by the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. He is our connection to God. He takes the things of Christ and of God and makes them real to us, we learn in John chapter 14. So one of the most outstanding features or facets of eternal life is that it permits us or allows us to go into the presence of God at any time with the exact same freedom that Jesus Christ himself has in the presence of God. In other words, Jesus is the son of God. He is God's own son. And if he wants to go into the presence of God, he can go right into the presence of God. And not only that, Jesus Christ himself no sin can ever be in the presence of God, and Jesus was completely spotless, completely sinless until our sins and our iniquities, in other words, our pattern of sin or our habits of sin, or our, our what is it, was that called? Our um, bent towards sin was laid on him. Why was that? Because all of us, if we, if we keep the whole law, but if in one part, we're guilty of all. And so no man could actually be successful at fulfilling the law except for 
one man, and his name was Jesus Christ. And his reward for living a faithful life was paying, uh, having on him our sins and our iniquities, our evil bents, and our sickness and our disease. Now that is love. And that is giving up for someone else. And so, of course, then he went, he bore the penalty, and then he defeated them, and he defeated their power over all humankind so that we could actually live free and not have to be dominated by the power of sin or the power of sickness or the power of poverty. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us, means he has bought us back, He has lifted off of us the curse, which included spiritual death, which is separation from God, poverty, sickness, disease, and he set us free from all of that when he died on the cross because the Bible says anyone that dies on a cross is cursed. Cursed is anyone that that dies on a tree, but Christ has redeemed us from that. So I want to look today at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 12 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12 through 21, and then we'll probably, uh, if we have uh, time, we'll go back and um, hit the love verses. Actually, I'm going to read you the love verses uh, as you're turning to or looking it up on your device. I'm going to read you the, the love verses in Weiss translation of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, but you should be turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. Love meekly and patiently bears ill treatment from others. These, every time I read this, I think you could just have a whole message on one little verse. <laughs> Love meekly and patiently bears ill treatment from others. And, and before I read that, I want to say like Weiss translation is kind of like an amplified for men, I call it. Um, he defines love. He says, God's love produced in the heart of the yielded saint by the Holy Spirit, a love that impels one to deny himself for the sake of the loved one. So this is a love that is, you're driven by this love, and it impels you to give up your own stuff for the one that you're directing your love towards. So keep that in mind as I read this, and maybe I'll just add it in there. Um, Love meekly and patiently bears ill treatment from others, denying itself for the sake of the loved one. Love is kind, gentle, benign, pervading and penetrating the whole nature, mellowing all which would have been harsh and austere, denying itself for the sake of the loved one. Love is not envious, denying itself for the sake of the loved one. Love does not brag, denying itself for the sake of the loved one. Love does not show itself off, denying itself for the sake of the loved one. Love is not ostentatious, meaning like trying to put itself out front, like, hey, look at me, hey, look at me. Why? Because it denies itself for the sake of the loved one. Love does not have an inflated ego, denying itself for the sake of the loved one. Love does not act unbecomingly or in an improper way or in a rude way. That's me adding. uh, Because it denies itself for the sake of the loved one. Love does not seek after the things which are its own, is not irritated, provoked, exasperated, aroused to anger. For the sake of the loved one. Love does not freak out. No, crazy. <laughs> when things pop up on its iPad. Uh, love does not seek after the things which are its own, is not irritated, provoked, exasperated, aroused to anger, 
does not take into account the evil which it suffered, does not rejoice at the iniquity, but rejoices with the truth. Isn't that cool? Because the truth actually rejoices. Love rejoices with the truth, endures all things, believes all things, hopes all things, bears up under all things, not losing heart or courage. Love never fails because it denies itself for the sake of the loved one. So I read that the other day. I was reading it that way, and I'm like, wow, that's really good. I, it really uh, helped me. And uh, any of those, if any of those seem to hit close to home, then you know what that means? You're living in the flesh. Uh, I don't mean that in a bad way, actually. What I meant was that means you have a human body. That means you're subject to like passions. <laughs> Like Elijah, the word of God tells us that Elijah was a righteous man and he prayed and it stopped raining and then he prayed again and it started raining. And he said that he was a, a man subject to like passions such as we are. Meaning, he would have a tendency to want to do the same things that we want to do and uh, you know, to lose it in a situation or to, to be selfish and all of this, but the love of Christ constrains us. In other words, the love of Christ is trying to hold you back. Have you ever done something or said something, and while you're in the middle of doing it and contemplating doing it, you kind of got something on the inside. It feels like it's trying to go like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. But you're like, I don't care. That's called yielding to the flesh. <laughs> and it doesn't work uh, uh, the, the will of God or the plan of God. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 12 in the New King James says, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, and if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, or we judge this way, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. I have to read that again while we're in the middle of this because it's so good. For, if, uh, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge this way, that if one died, that's Jesus died for all. He died for every single human that has ever lived and will ever live on the face of the earth. Then all died. In other words, all were condemned to death. All mankind was on their way to death. But Jesus died for all mankind. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves. I know this is an exciting message. <laughs> but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now, this is really important. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. So, uh, normally, you don't always have the most challenges walking in love with someone that you don't know very well. Normally, you have the most challenging wa uh, challenges walking in love with someone that you live in the same house with. Now, you might be saying, well, that's all well and good, Pastor, but I live alone. Like I said, you might have the most challenges with the one that you live in the house with. 
So, uh, you know, you get people to laugh because then they can receive what you're saying, but it's actually very true. Uh, I have challenges, of course, in my love walk, uh, even with a perfect wife like my wife. But I find that sometimes my greatest challenges are with myself and walking in love with myself and my mistakes and, uh, and those type of things. Uh, but you're not even to regard yourself after the flesh. What happens if you do regard yourself after the flesh? Well, you know, I have, a, I have great regard for so-and-so. Well, what if you have great regard for your flesh? You're going to respond to your flesh. You're going to give your flesh a higher place than your spirit. All of us are a three-part being, a spirit. We are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. But if we give our flesh first place, we can only get what our flesh can produce. Therefore, verse 16, from now on, in other words, we have made a decision. We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. So even, even uh, they knew Christ according to the flesh, but they said, yet now we know him thus no longer. In other words, now we don't know him this way any longer. We did know him that way, but we're not going to know him that way anymore. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That is such good news. So like anyone, that means you, and that means me, and that means, you know, the, the worst person you could possibly think of. If anyone, if that worst person you can think of, maybe it's like someone that's part of ISIS or something, if they are in Christ, then they can be a new creature. They are a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. And this is all of God, who has reconciled us with himself through Jesus Christ, and has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. You know, to reconcile is an accounting term. If you're going to reconcile your bank account, that means you're going to see what has gone out with what has come in and what is in there. You're going to make sure that they match up. And so uh, God was, I think Amplified says, personally present in Christ, reconciling the world into favor with himself. And that's the ministry that he's given unto us. What's a ministry? Well, that's an area of service. That's how we serve God. In other words, you know, I kind of made light of it, and made, you know, but the, the, the person who's out there with this sign that says, you know, you're all sinners going to hell is not practicing this verse. Because this verse says that we are supposed to go into the world, and when it says, the word of God says the world, it is those without Christ, and tell them, God is not mad at you, God loves you, he has a plan for your life, he sent his son to die for you, he gave up stuff so you could have real life. Not, you're going to hell. Now, if someone does not accept Jesus Christ, they are on their way to hell, but we're not supposed to, like, that's not how we reach people. Do you understand? And so, and it's not the will of God. It's not his desire. It's not his plan. It's not what he wants. It's not his desire. And so, I want to read you, oh, I didn't finish. I got so excited. 
Now all things are of God who, oh, I, I, did, I went to there. Verse 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. This is like one of, the, one of my, don't laugh at me. I know y'all are gonna laugh at me. You can laugh. One of my favorite passages in the word of God. <laughs> now we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so he made Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made God's righteousness in him. What is righteousness? It is the ability to walk into the presence of God without sensing fear, without sensing condemnation, with a full freedom, just the same freedom as Jesus himself has with the Father, that you have the same freedom with the Father. You have the same rapport with the Father. In other words, if I have good rapport with Lisa, that means we get along and there's not something between us and I can walk up to her at any time and she can walk up to me at any time and I can say, Lisa, how was your day? She's not going to be like, fine. Like, I don't want to talk to you. (laughs) And she's not going to have guards outside her house and say, you can't come in. But she's going to actually usher me right in and say, oh, pastor, I want to talk with you. I'm happy to see you. I'm happy to be with you. That's the rapport Jesus gave us with the Father because he took our sin away. He removed it. He lifted it off of us so that we then, you know, in the first part of the verses, we ta- he took our death so we could take his life. And when we get his life, we get his life and his nature. The, the Greek word that we've been doing this for this entire study is the Greek word zoe. And in the, New, in the New Testament, most of the time, the word life is translated from that Greek word. When Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the thief or the devil has not come but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that you might have zoe or life that I have come that you might have Zoe and that you might have it more abundantly. The devil's come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. There's a lady uh, minister by the name of Kate McVeigh, and when she first started her ministry, she used to go to Melody's Home Church all the time up in Minnesota, and I heard her speak at Ramah several times, and she, would, she had this main message, kind of her core message that she'd teach, and she's like, God is good and the devil is bad. And so it's amazing. You can get a hold of something as simple as that, and you don't have to be a theologian to figure out what is going on in your life. Well, why is this happening? Why is this? Well, well, is it good or is it bad? Every good gift comes down from the Father above. But the verse doesn't stop there. And whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. In other words, there's not even a hint that he's going to change. It's not like, well, he was good in Bible times. He was good in the time of the first apostles. He was good 100 years ago. He was good 10 years ago, but he's not good now. No, there's not even a hint that his goodness would ever abate, that his goodness would ever stop, that his goodness would ever cease. His mercies are new every morning. 
Now let's look at the same passage of scripture, but I want to read it from the Amplified, and I'm going to start with verse 14 instead of verse 12. For the love of Christ controls and urges and impels us, because we are of the opinion and conviction that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that all those who live might live no longer for themselves, but to and for him who died and was raised again for their sake. Like even in his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension, it was for your sake. It wasn't for his sake. It was for your sake. It was for my sake. Verse 16, consequently, from now on, we estimate and regard no one from a purely human point of view in terms of natural standards of value. No, even though we once did estimate Christ from a human point of view and as a man, yet now we have such knowledge of him that we know him no longer in terms of the flesh. Do you know that if you look at Jesus Christ in terms of the flesh only, that you would find in history books that there was a man that lived from Nazareth and his name was Jesus and they called him Jesus Christ? But you have to believe from your heart or your spirit in order to be born again. Romans chapter uh, 10 verses 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth... It's not if you believe in your head. In other words, you could believe that Jesus existed just like you believe that George Washington existed. And you would still not go to heaven. As many as received him, to them he gave the power to be the children of God or the sons of God. And so you actually have to believe and receive. And you don't believe in your head, you believe in your heart. You reason with your head. But you believe in your heart. So you cannot know Christ after the flesh and get to heaven. You have to know him in your heart. He has to come to live inside of your heart. And of course, this is the passage of scripture we're talking about. So if you continue reading, which we will, you'll see that's how you're made a brand new creature is by believing in your heart. Verse 17, therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, remember in John Uh, 14, 15, 16, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. In other words, he is the life source of the branches, and we are the branches of the vine. And so when we plug into him, his life flow comes into us. Well, what is life? It is his life, and it is his nature. Life the way God has life. Therefore, if any man is engrafted into Christ, the Messiah, He is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old, previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Praise the Lord. Behold, the flesh, the fresh and new has come. But all things are from God, who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to himself, received us into favor, brought us into harmony with himself, and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. That by word and deed, we might aim to bring others into harmony with him. Now, uh, the worship team this morning had some awesome sounding harmony. But sometimes you hear people try to harmonize and it doesn't sound awesome. 
it's kind of like out and you're like, oh, it's gritting on you. Do you know what? When you start to see people not after the flesh, but how God has loved them and designed them and created them, and you see them living out of harmony with God, it grinds on your flesh. You're like, this is, and it, it upsets your spirit. You're like, this is not right. There is so much more for you. That's not really living. That's just like you're just existing and you're destroying a, a, the precious gift of even natural life that God has given unto you. And so we are to understand and then to speak and to declare God's not mad at you. He wants you in harmony with him. Verse 19, it was God personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself. This is the lost world he's talking about. Not believers. Not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them and committing to us the message of reconciliation, of restoration to favor. So we are Christ's ambassadors, God making his appeal as it were through us. We, as Christ's personal representatives, beg you for his sake to lay hold of the divine favor now offered you and to be reconciled to God. That is so good. And I said, you know, it's not for believers. Of course, it's for believers. You get it in the package. But he did this while we were yet sinners, while we were yet messing up, making mistakes. That's when Christ died for us. In other words, he wasn't waiting for you and he wasn't waiting for me to show some sign of goodness in ourselves, to show that we, had, we could be a, a do-gooder or show that we could live right. You know what? If you're trying to do that in your own power, you will fail and fail miserably. And you might think, oh, I'm doing so good, I'm doing so good. Then all of a sudden, something will come right along and knock your head right where your feet were a second ago. Verse 21, for our sake, he made Christ virtually to be sin who knew no sin. Literally, the Bible says he made him to be sin. So that in and through him, we might become endued with, viewed as being in, and examples of the righteousness of God, what we ought to be approved and acceptable in the right relationship with him by his goodness. And so it was God personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself, not counting up and holding against men or mankind their trespasses, but canceling them and committing to us the message of restoration to favor or the message of reconciliation. So that verse right there, you understand, it said God came down in the body of a man named Jesus from Nazareth and he restored us to favor and said, now that I have restored you to favor, I have given unto you this same ministry to go tell people that I have restored them to favor. All you have to do is receive and accept what I have done in Christ. In other words, what was that? Um, I 
the, um, in the time of war, they would go out and there would be a, a messenger that would come back when they won a victory. And the message that they would bring was a message of victory. And that person who was out in war was part of the victory. And then they got to come back and declare and tell everyone, we won, we won, we won. And this is what God has committed to you and what he has committed to me. This is our purpose, that we go and we share his life and his love and his restoration to favor with the world. Sometimes believers need to know it too. Actually, most of the time, believers need to know it, especially the restoration to favor. Because the devil, if he can't stop you from accepting Christ, and he can't unless you will uh, work on his behalf and speak his words and, and let his thoughts dominate you. But then he's like, well, I lost him. I lost him for eternity, but I'm gonna like remove their power in this life. So I'm going to just remind them of all of the bad stuff that they have done, of the bad thoughts that they allow in their head, of the mistakes that they make, and I will control them through those thoughts. But he can't do it if you refuse to think his thoughts after him. If you get the word of God and you think God's thoughts after God, then all of a sudden your mind becomes renewed and you are transformed. And then the power of God and the life of God can flow through you. And the way that happens is by faith. The only way that we receive from God is by faith. In other words, if you believe what we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you actually believed it, you would act like it's true. And if you did that, then you would have what it says. If you believe that when believers lay hands on the sick, they will recover, and you had sickness, then you would search for a believer to lay hands on you so that you might recover. If you believe that the prayer of a righteous man was powerful and effective, dynamic in its working, then you would look at this passage of Scripture right here and say, wait a second, I am a righteous man. I am a righteous woman. My prayers are powerful and effective. When I speak, God hears. And then you would begin to pray, and you would have whatever you say, whatever you ask. Jesus said, if you abide in me, live in me, and my words live in you. In other words, if you find your source of life in me and you let my words live in you, that's through you renew your mind and you're transformed, and so all of a sudden those words uh, when they live in you, it doesn't just mean words in your head. It actually doesn't mean words in your head at all. It means words are churning. The words of God himself are churning down inside of your spirit, so much so that all of a sudden you said, no, I resist that in the name of Jesus. I'm not gonna have it that way. And all of a sudden, those words of God churning on the inside of you begin to come out, and then you have what you see in the word of God. But you see, you can see things in the word of God and know it in your head your entire life on the earth and not experience the blessings that are promised you in those very scriptures if you don't grab hold of them on the inside. But as soon as you grab hold on the inside, you speak them out and it comes to pass. 
and you actually then have the ability to see them show up in your life, whether it's finances, whether it's healing, whether it's freedom from your, for your mind, whether it's uh, strength, uh, whether it's wisdom from God. All of those are available through faith in Jesus Christ, but you have to lay hold through faith. Stand with me if you would. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is nothing that you could do to get yourself cleaned up, to do enough good to get yourself into the kingdom of God, to do enough good to be worthy to come uh, to God himself. But Jesus himself and his lifeblood that was poured out for you and poured out for me and given for you and given for me has done that very thing for you that we could not possibly do. He has made a way. He has made a connection. He has made a path for us to come to God. And it is through him. He is the doorway to God himself. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you may know him in your head, but you've never uh, become acquainted with him in your heart. You've never uh, given him your life. You've never received him. Then I want to invite you this morning, just slip up your hand. I'd love to pray with you and for you and see you in an instant of time come into the kingdom of God. Don't wait another minute. Don't wait another hour. When he's calling, then you come. If that's you here or online, uh, I invite you to come. If you're watching online and you'd like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to email us at info at anchordc.org and we'll get you some materials and pray with you and pray for you. I want to pray right now. If you'd like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'd just like you to agree in your heart with what I'm going to say from my mouth and just repeat it with your mouth. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. I take Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. I give up my whole life for Him. I thank you that I am now saved, that I am now part of your family, that I am now your child, that I am right with you, and that you're my very own Father. In Jesus' name.